Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank my listeners. I always do this, Mark, uh, every time I come on these shows because we've been on the air over 10 years now and we're just peaking at 600 podcasts. We appreciate all of you for spreading the word. We continue to get more and more listeners from different areas of the world. Again, we appreciate all of you out there who are listening and have continued to support um, the show. Um, today, joining me from Los Angeles is Dr. Mark Milstein, M-I-L-S-T-E-I-N. And Mark has a website that uh, any of you can go to, which is drmilsteineducation.com. That's Dr. Milstein, M-I-L-S-T-E-I-N, education.com. Um, I met Mark at the California Health and Longevity Institute. There was a symposium going on there, and he was one of the speakers. And he reached out to me saying, hey, Greg, let's do a podcast here recently because one of his friends had noticed that uh, my podcasts were getting, I think, a little more play. And uh, so we decided to do this. And Mark spoke at that time when we were together um, about the neuroscience of sleep. And I thought his talk was fascinating, and we've chosen that topic, uh, topic for today's um, uh, podcast as well. Mark, good day to you. How are you doing? Oh, good. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, appreciate having you on Inside Personal Growth, and appreciate you spending a few minutes with my listeners to inform them about how to improve their sleep habits and how to get a better night's rest. Um, I'm going to let my listeners know a little bit about you. Um, Mark says that we live in an amazing time. He's done research, and for any of those who are interested in finding out more about Mark's research, you can get it at PubMed, P-U-B dot M-E-D, and just type in uh, Mark's name. He currently has a couple of work uh, books in the works at this point, uh, none yet to, to newly be released here within at least the next six months, but he is working on it. He's done research on sleep. He's done research on productivity, on how to make our lives healthier and happier. Um, and, he, and he said the problem is in a world where unreliable information um, fills in the burbs and sound bites, how do you know what's real and what's hype? Um, that's where Mark steps in. He specializes in taking lead research on human health, productivity, and happiness and presents it in a way that entertains and motivates people, and he definitely is entertaining and motivating in his lectures. He specializes in connecting the latest research from multiple science disciplines and integrating this complex information into clear and an accurate picture for physicians, therapists, companies, and anyone looking for a clear solution to improve health and happiness. And Mark, we couldn't be at a more important time and kind of a turn of our history here uh, with, uh, they say, I was listening to NPR the other day, that people are really stressed out about this election. <laughs> right, and, right, very you know, much so. It's, it's, and I guess, you know, you can actually sense that, you know, it's like uh, the division between everybody and the, the amount of talk that's going on. But you mentioned in your video course that if we divide the years that we've lived um, by three, and you take that number, whatever that is, to all our listeners are out there, that's how long you've spent sleeping. Um, you state that this is a good thing. Um, and so I'd like for you to just tell our listeners, 
why is that so? And what's the, uh, what's good about it? Right. So yeah, if you take your age divided by three, that's the number of years you, you probably should have been sleeping, but most people haven't been sleeping <laughs> that number of years. Um, and so what we're learning is, is that getting enough sleep is related to aspects of our health, our productivity, mentally and physically, in ways that we never thought before. So it's not just about being tired. It's about how much weight we gain. It's about our memory. It's about raising our risk for diabetes. It's about raising our risk for Alzheimer's and dementia. So we start to realize that sleep plays this critical role in our day-to-day health and our long-term mm-hmm. health. And so... And- Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, you you said that only thirty seven percent of adults get the recommended amount of sleep. So, you know, kind of an add on question of this. So, what is the recommended amount of sleep? I mean, if we are sleep deprived society, and that number you, you're saying should have been, you know, let's just take if, if you're sixty years old, it's twenty years that you've been sleeping. Uh, right. So the reality here is is that you know if it's less than that. Uh, good chances are you're saying we're sleep deprived. So what is that recommended amount of sleep, Mark? So the recommended number, if you notice, if you go online or you watch the news, the number keeps changing slightly that, or, you know, one day it's seven, the next day it's nine, now it's eight. And there's a reason for that, that when we look at a, a group of people, we actually can't tell a whole group of people what their specific number is of how many hours of sleep they need, but there is a way that people can figure out their number of sleep that they need, which is really, really important. And so the number of hours of sleep that somebody needs is the amount of hours when they wake up without an alarm clock. And I know in our modern world, that sounds uh, almost impossible, but using alarm clocks as a safety net is actually the way that we want to do it. And instead waking up naturally. So getting to bed and waking up with enough sleep so that we wake up on our own, and that we don't feel tired or exhausted during the day. It's normal around the afternoon time to feel like you might need a 20, 30 minute nap, but getting enough sleep so that you feel rested when you wake up is the number you need. And I can tell you how you figure out that number for yourself. So there's something you can do and it's really helpful because then you know how much sleep you actually need. And it's probably very different than the number of hours that the person might be sleeping next to you or someone else in your life. So the number of hours that you need, the way to figure that out is this, is that it's nice to do it on a vacation or it's nice to do it um, when you don't have to get up. It takes a couple days to do it. Don't take any sleeping medication. Lay off alcohol that night. About an hour before bed, put away your technology, your cell phones, your TVs, your tablets. Put those away. They interfere with our sleep. Go to bed when you're tired. Wake up when you feel like you need to wake up without an alarm clock. That first mm-hmm. night most likely is not going to be the number of hours of sleep you actually need. Most likely your brain and body is recalibrating. The second night, third night, you repeat that exact same thing. So that is lay off the, the, uh, the technology, lay off the caffeine, alcohol. lay off the alcohol, yeah. uh, go to sleep when you're tired, no sleeping pills, wake up without an alarm clock. Starting day two, day three, day four, your body's going to let you know the number of hours of sleep that you need. And then that's really important because we're all trying to be more productive. We're all trying to be as healthy as we can be. So then, you know, oh, this is my number and I need to, now I know that I need to go to bed at this time so that I can wake up at a certain time on my own without an alarm clock. I can set that alarm clock maybe 20, 30 minutes later or 15 minutes later as a safety net. 
but I'm making sure I'm getting that sleep that is benefiting me, you know, short-term and long-term. Great advice. And I think it's a good way to test it out. You know, look, we're, if you look at these wearable devices that everybody has, the Fitbits and mm-hmm. uh, the uh, everything, you know, the Garmin's today, all of them have this sleep uh, app on it, right? And mm-hmm. I think people, you know, when if I see them coming out and they obsess over this, um, right. <laughs> you know, uh, and and to a point that it's like, oh my God, you know, I, I, I look down at my watch and I only got seven hours and 23 minutes or whatever, like whatever it is. Um, how does our lack of sleep affect our performance and work? And what are some of the alternatives that we can do to make sure that we're not subject to, you know, making mistakes or lower performance or... You know, I know that some places like Google, they have little nap rooms now. They've got meditation rooms. But if you look at 90% of the world out there, it's not Google, right? right. Um, they're not giving their employees the time to, to take those naps that they needed, you know. And um, actually, I think those are a good thing. But so I'd like for you to comment on that. I mean, how do we help these people who are sleep deprived, coming into work, taking two cups of coffee just to try and get through? making mistakes in the process and they have no ability to actually make up that sleep time during the day. Right. So those, you made several excellent points there that I want to address. Really, really great. Number one was the Fitbits, which I just want to say a, a, a minute about, or a couple seconds about that, which is those devices are really great at motivating people to take care of their health and think about their health. But when it comes to how accurate they are at telling you how you're sleeping, they're really not that accurate. The only way to really know how you're sleeping is simply how you feel when you wake up. And also you'd have to go into a sleep clinic and strap something on your head. So something that's just on your wrist or something that's on in your bed, that won't tell you. So you brought up another great point, which is people are stressing out about not getting enough sleep. And that can be really part of the problem is that people realize how critical sleep is, they're having trouble falling asleep, they wake up in the middle of the night, they can't get back to sleep, and then they get in this terrible cycle of being sleep deprived because they're so concerned that they're not getting enough sleep. And that really ties into what you just said, which is mindfulness, this idea of in the hour before bed or when you first wake up in the morning, taking five, 10 minutes. There's been studies out of USC, really excellent studies. People have a very hard time falling asleep or we wake up in the middle of the night, we can't get back to sleep. A lot of that is because we are stressing out or we're worrying about all the things we didn't do yesterday or all the things we have to do tomorrow. So the hour before bed, finding what we call a mindful activity. And what that means is it can be as simple as some breathing exercises. We put ourselves in the present moment. It can be reading your favorite book, but make sure it's in a book, not a tablet. That light that's streaming from those tablets can keep you awake. So, uh, reading a book, listening to some soft music, some stretching, finding a relaxing activity in low levels of light, not very stimulating in the hour before bed is critical. Helping people fall asleep, it helps us relax. One other thing that can be so helpful is writing down on a piece of paper all the things that you didn't get to. And it sounds really simple, but if we get things out of our brain and onto paper, our brain will let go of them and not wake us up in the middle of the night worrying about them. So taking a few minutes and jotting down some notes before bed, people call that now a sleep diary. Very, very helpful. The other point yeah, that David you brought Allen, up was... 
David what? Allen, the productivity expert, calls that mind dumps. And he recommends dumps, right. that once in the morning, uh, he recommends it before you do anything that you're trying to put concentration and focus on because Absolutely. your mind yeah, is absolutely. completely distracted by all those things. And absolutely. I think that's what happens with sleep, with our performance is when we're sleep deprived, uh, focus is really a challenge. Um, do you find in the research that sleep deprivation is causing people with ADD, ADHD? I mean, you know, you look at the world and it seems like everybody's got it today because they got an electronic device in, in their hand. Uh, so absolutely what we know is that lack of sleep is negatively impacting. It's making our focus worse. And if somebody has a, uh, a challenge that they're dealing with, like ADHD or any, anything that's, that's a challenge, it just makes it worse. So getting that sleep is so important. And it's really just like what you said, that we, a good night's sleep recharges our battery. It recharges the battery in our brain. And when we wake up in the morning, we have that full battery. And everything that we do starts to drain that battery down. And so what we want to always think about in terms of productivity and focus are in the morning or when we're, our battery is at its highest level, what are we going to attack first? What are we going to do first when our battery is high? And then being very much aware of when our battery is dropping and things like a, a nap, a mindfulness exercise, some breathing, a walk around the block, getting out in a little bit of nature. It doesn't have to be a national park. It could be your backyard getting a little green space. There's a lot of, lot of uh, research now showing how important it is for us to be in the presence of some nature for a few minutes each day. Those are the things that, that just like during the day when your cell phone battery starts to dip and you might plug it in for a few minutes to get it back up there, the same thing with our brain. Sleep charges it all the way to the top. If we, uh, if we get that good sleep, it drains throughout the day. And we're always looking for those things to get it back up throughout the day to give us more hours of productivity. Definitely. And I think it's, important when you're feeling that way, not to push through it, but to find a way to give yourself some time uh, to let your body's cycle, and we're going to talk about that, get get back into cycle. Now, you, you say, um, look, there's a lot of us out there, me included, and you you sleep with somebody who snores, it's next to you, you know? Right. And that affects, I know it, for my, in my case, it affects my sleep. Um, I'll wake up, I'll nudge, I'll do all those kind of things that you do. What do you recommend to thousands of people out there, hundreds of thousands of people that are dealing with that? And uh, they're, they're trying to be conscious of their partner, but at the same time, you know, they're, they're irritated. Right, uh, right. It's affecting them. Right. Okay. That's a great question. Uh, so if somebody is snoring at night, it's actually something that they'd want to bring up to their doctor on their next uh, routine visit. Doesn't mean anything serious is going on, but always we want to just bring those things up. In terms of it and being annoying to the person sleeping next to them is, you know, as we really realize how much we need to prioritize sleep, we realize a couple things. One thing that we can do is a fan in the room, some white noise, some, some, something that blocks it out can be very helpful. It can also be a cue to the brain that it's sleep time. So people put on a uh, a fan sound and it kind of puts them in a relaxing mode. Oh, this is what I do every night before I, I go to sleep. I hear that sound. Your brain recognizes it. It helps you fall asleep. So something that drowns it out can be helpful. If that doesn't work, of course, there's something important about, uh, you know, being close to the people in our, in our lives and in our relationships. But there is something to be said that sleeping in separate rooms 
if it's if people are having a really hard time sleeping and and uh and it's really impacting them negatively we really realize how critical sleep is and sometimes the the answer really is is that at some point during the night people have to say well I'll I'll see you in the morning <laughs> and and I'm going to go yeah. to this room and you're going to go to that room and and realizing that that can't be insulting but it has to be understanding now question for you do do you advocate any other devices besides a low fan like that what what about uh you know headsets wireless headsets in the ears or earplugs or you know anything like that i mean you got a lot of people out there we're probably talking to that relate to this so um, yeah yeah uh earplugs can be excellent headphones um there's you know electrical devices that you're wearing all night long there can be a little bit of concern with uh you know hearing issues that that sort of constant sound that's being directly put into your ears volume issues so i would say that mm. that would be something that we would want to be a little bit concerned about but earplugs absolutely uh low white noise anything that creates if it's if it's uh, some soft music that you find relaxing but looking towards well, the concern about electrical devices is also any sort of little bits of light. We used to roll our eyes at this and say it's not a big deal, but we really realize now that one of the key things about waking up refreshed is sleeping in real darkness. And uh, Pete Sampras, the great tennis player, when he used to play, he used to go to a hotel room when he was on the tour and he would cover every light source in his room with, with some black tape. And he said he really played better. He focused better. He had more energy the next day if he blocked all the little lights. I mean, the light on your TV, the little light on your, that's coming from your cell phone. We used to think, oh, that was a little overkill. But now we realize that our brain was actually designed to sleep in real darkness, not modern darkness, all these little lights in our room. We don't need to cover everything up with black tape, but putting one of those little sleep masks on your eyes, uh, sometimes people pair that with, with uh, earphones. I mean, I'm sorry, with uh, earplugs. So they really get mm -hmm. that, that sort of uh, detached cocoon feel. But covering our eyes with a little towel or a, uh, a sleep mask can be very helpful. People are startled. They can't believe how refreshed they feel the next day when they actually give their brain the true darkness it has evolved to actually sleep in. Um, so that's another, another tip there that can be very helpful. Now, you state that 60% of the sleep disorders are stress-related. Um, right. And we just talked about how active people are in the world for the most part. And, you know, they're connected to their devices and that we should be turning these devices off gradually in the last hour and lowering the lights and all the advice that you've, you've given through your video, which I was watching. What advice do you have for our listeners about um, not only just controlling the stress through mindfulness and meditation, but maybe some other ways that uh, psychologically, they could start to look at the world to control their own stress? That's a great question also. So when we talk about mindfulness, there's, of course, there's the breathing exercises and there's that ty those types of mindfulness. But mindfulness is many other activities. So it's the idea of placing yourself in the present moment and having a positive attitude towards it. So if in the hour before bed, you love to... Um, you know, work on a collage or you like to work on your model train set or you, you name it. You like to, if you put yourself in the present moment and you're focused on that present moment and you're feeling good, you're giving your body a break from this stress response that is dangerous long-term. 
The other thing is brain scientists are really fascinated with this practice of gratitude now. And another thing that we do is that our world, we have a million things coming at us at 100 miles an hour all the time. And sometimes our brain naturally over accentuates negative things that we, the, 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 there's inevitably going to be things in our lives that are, that are bothering us or that are negative. And that, that's just part of life. But if we sit down before bed or even in the morning and we do something called a gratitude practice, we write down all the things in our life or make a quick list of the things in your life you're truly thankful for, that you're appreciative of, that we can easily ignore. We easily take them for granted. And then you make a list of all the things that are bothering you. People are often surprised how long the list is of things that they're thankful for and how short the thing mm-hmm. list is of things that are negative, that are truly bothering them and should be bothering them. But putting that in perspective, so putting our, our problems in perspective with all the things that we uh, have and all the things that we should be grateful for is a really wonderful activity before bed that kind of recalibrates and gives us a moment to say, okay, yes, I live in a fast-paced world. I have all these responsibilities. I have all these stresses and tensions, but let's take a step back here and look at it from another perspective. And let me take a moment and focus on all these things that I am truly grateful for and put in perspective the things mm-hmm. that I have to work on and, and tackle. Well, and I think it also has, you know, look, there's certain chemicals that are released in the brain. You're, you're talking, you talked in your video about melatonin and serotonin and, you know, there, there are certain elements here that, that, take people to depression and there's other things that lift people up, which is why people actually, you know, exercise and they release uh, good chemicals into their system. Um, my question for you though, is really about this. Um, you know, happiness has to play an effect on our sleep. And I know that part of your work is about happiness and productivity. Um, gratitude obviously leads to us being more happy, happy overall, happy about our life, our partners, our, our, our world around us. So what's the correlation between the gratitude, happiness, and our, our ability to sleep longer hours with uninterrupted cycles so that we're getting deep, good uh, sleep? So that really ties into this idea of chronic stress and the things that are stressing us out. Um, what happens is, is that when we sleep, we, we give our brain and body a chance to regenerate. All those chemicals that you're talking about, when we're sleeping, we're releasing melatonin, we're recalibrating brain chemicals so that we can have the proper levels of dopamine, serotonin, so we can regulate our mood. So that's all happening when we're asleep. The thing that disrupts that is the stress that in many cases, this is not all cases, but in, in many people, what's happening is, is that the stresses in our lives are waking us up in the middle of the night. That the way that we actually sleep is we sleep in this cycle where we actually wake up every 90 minutes. We might not even realize it, but that's very normal. So it's very normal to wake up every 90 minutes. Where people get into problems is the waking up isn't the problem. It's the not being able to get back to sleep. And if people wake up 90 minutes after they finish each cycle and they start to worry, they start to stress, they didn't deal with before they went to bed, what you just called the, the memory offloading or the memory dumping or that, that idea is that our brain in the middle of the night will grab onto those stresses and say, for survival, we have to figure this out now. And that's where the interrupted sleep then interrupts 
the rebalancing of the brain chemicals that is needed to happen throughout the night uh, so that we feel happy, we're in good mood and good spirits throughout the day. So there's this very, it's almost like a domino effect. There's this, they're very much connected. Interesting. You know, something just came up when you were saying that. I don't, I don't know how, how appropriate this or how deep the studies have gone. Does a person's social economic status have an effect on their sleep? In other words, do people that are economically deprived have worse sleep than people who are wealthy? Uh, that's a really good question. What we, what we do know is that the studies that we know are that children who grew up in poverty and so we want to be very careful and say that poverty is not something that th th what we're concerned about is when a child's basic needs aren't being met. When a child's basic mm -hmm. needs aren't being met, they, their sleep is very much disrupted. And then that can have very serious long-term consequences on their actual health. So it, it significantly raises their risk of a host of mental and physical ailments. And we believe that it's complex, but sleep plays a role in that. So those are the studies we do know. Yeah, obviously, also their performance at school. I think that's a big issue for a lot of teachers these days. Now, yeah, you, you state that the master, the master clock is about the size of the head of a pen in our brain. Right. right. There are about 20,000 cells that determine how sleepy we become. And you've actually, right. the scientists have, have located these within the brain, and that this right. is all being affected by our eyes and light. Can you comment on about how this affects you know, these the cells, how they affect, number one, the master clock, and two, how light plays its role. Um, because you said when you wake up in the morning, what you really need to do is get into light as quickly as possible. I remember that from the video. Uh, it, discuss with my listeners how important that is and what are some of the um, findings that you've found. Oh, great. Yeah, so that's, that's called your brain clock. And this has been one of the biggest breakthroughs in understanding our brain in the last few years. Yeah, it was the discovery of this area of the brain called the suprachrismatic nucleus or the brain clock. It's the size of the head of a pin, a little tiny structure. And this little structure in our brain tells us when it's time to fall asleep and when it's time to wake up. And it's very much regulated by light. So some key tips from that are what happens is this. So imagine yourself laying in bed at night the lights are finally off. The way that this works is that that clock in your brain notices darkness because light is no longer passing through your eyes. That clock in your brain sends a signal to another part of your brain to release melatonin, and that's what uh, puts you to sleep. So it's that darkness that we need. So if people are in their bedrooms at night and they have all the lights on and they're brushing their teeth, they have the TV on, they're looking at their phones, and then they shut it all off and they jump into bed and they're wondering why it's taking them 30 minutes to an hour to fall asleep. It's because that little clock in our brain, that little pin-like structure, it needs 30 minutes to an hour from darkness to actually allow that chemical of, of melatonin to be released and you actually fall asleep. So a key tip there is because of the way this system just really works in our brain is about an hour to a half hour before you're ready to fall asleep, what I like to say is create a sunset in your bedroom, start lowering the lights, start putting away the, uh, the cell phone, start putting away the tablets, let your brain know that it's darkness so that your clock in your brain can do its job, it can re help release that melatonin 
and put you to sleep. Then while you're asleep at night, that clock is active. You want to keep it releasing that melatonin to keep you asleep. And that's where we talk about making sure you're sleeping in darkness. The way you wake up in the morning is even though your eyelids are closed, light still streams through your closed eyelids. And that light tells the clock to shut the melatonin off. And that's how you wake up. Mm -hmm. But here's Mm -hmm. the last really key point, which is that clock in your brain is set every single day. Basically, it works like a countdown timer. And the way you set it is you have to get outside in the presence of natural sunlight. Once you get out in the presence of natural sunlight, you set that clock in your brain. So a certain number of hours will pass and you'll fall asleep the next night at the right hour for you. So it sounds so simple, but it turns out, if you think about it, we live in a world where people get up, they jump in a car, they go to an office, they're missing out on just five or 10 minutes of being outside in natural sunlight Mm -hmm. in the first few minutes of the day. And it's a critical Mm -hmm. part of helping us sleep at night. So what you do first thing in the morning impacts how you sleep that night. So getting out, walk around the block, five minutes of natural light, set that clock in your brain, really, really helps people sleep at night. It's great advice. And I I will say for myself, just commenting about me, I don't have that issue. At 6.15 every morning, two big labs get me up and I take them on a walk. So I'm I'm out for a, for a two mile walk with the dogs every morning. So maybe oh, I'm doing wonderful. something right that way, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, no, that that's uh, that's that dogs are wonderful, and that's one of the many benefits is that is that morning walk. Yeah, and you know they have their internal clock works just like amazing. It's it's actually six fifteen. You don't need an alarm because your dogs wake you up. Um, <laughs> right, right. Do do you believe that people should take supplements like melatonin to assist them in sleeping better? I mean, uh, we're bombarded with these TV ads, you know, can't sleep, uh, get this drug. You go into your doctor, easily probably prescribed anymore. Hey, I'll give you something to help you sleep. Um, you know, there's just a plethora of this stuff. But the natural product, and let's at least call it as natural as it is, uh, I don't know the differences between one melatonin and the other, but um, what what is your advice to listeners out there to go, man, I just can't sleep. I need something to help me. So uh, when we talk about medication or sleeping aids, we always want to talk about the things we've talked about here first, that always looking at the checklist. Am I getting that natural light first thing in the morning? Am I taking that time during the day? Am I doing all the things that I can do that are natural? And that's the way the medical community is thinking now. We're concerned about people just popping pills because we don't know the long-term effects. When we talk about melatonin that you can go to the drugstore and you can get, here's the deal. Melatonin is natural in the sense that your brain makes it, but there's three things to worry about. Number one is that if you take melatonin, your brain will stop making it on its own, and that's a concern. Number two is melatonin can interfere with other medications. That's a concern. Number three is, is that melatonin is not regulated by the FDA. Those things that we think are safe, even if you're going to a major chain store, if it's not regulated by the FDA, you have no guarantee of what you're actually getting in that pill. And that's a big concern. And it's, it's something that has to be addressed. And it's very concerning. The other thing is, is that people will take 
antihistamines or they'll take over-the-counter sleep aids. Uh, they think they're safe because they're sold in a pharmacy. We have lots of data coming out this year, really, really strong scientific data showing that the long-term use of these over-the-counter sleeping aids or taking a, uh, an allergy medicine because people say, oh, it, I'll use the side effect. It makes me sleepy. People aren't actually getting natural, normal sleep with these types of medications. And the concern is, is that long-term, we do see that people who take these medications long-term have higher risks of memory issues. And so the concern now is to get the word out that those types of medications, even though they're sold in stores and people think they're safe, there's a lot of concern about them now. Well, Mark, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth. I think that our listeners have gotten a great uh, PX prescription for uh, them improving their sleep. You've given a lot of great advice to them. Uh, for my listeners, uh, we've been on with Dr. Mark Milstein, and that's M-I-L-S-T-E-I-N. His website is drmilsteineducation.com. There you can see some videos, some keynote presentations, uh, you can make a connection with Mark there. Um, he's got a blog called A Dose of Science blog. Um, and so I'd recommend, again, you going out to that website. We'll put a link inside the blog uh, to Mark's website as well. And uh, you'll see some videos up there for him. And he's also got a lecture series. So you can attend a live lecture series or watch on demand. So those are courses that Mark has. But uh, Mark, we appreciate having you on the show this morning, spend a little bit of time with the listeners um, about sleep and how important it is to our productivity, to our happiness, and to our overall health. Thanks for being on with us. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it, and it's been great to be here. Mm-hmm. 